and good evening. Welcome to another edition of Sunshine USA. This is Warren Landis, your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And um, I want to say hello to all of our listeners on Spotify and um, uh, Anchor FM and some of the other platforms that we're broadcasting on. Always glad to have you tuned in. Uh, we are currently engaged in a study of the Word of God. Right now we're going through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, and I tell you there's some great stuff here. Uh, now I tell you this is not spiritual baby food here. This is spiritual meat that we're currently going over. And uh, <laughs> people that read and understand 1 Corinthians, they're ready for spiritual meat, I tell you. And in particular, on today's broadcast, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. And this may very well be the toughest chapter that Paul writes in all of his writings. Now, like I say, Paul wrote about 13 or 14 books in the New Testament. And of all the books he wrote in the New Testament, this one chapter right here might be his toughest writing of all. And I imagine it was hard for Paul to write what he wrote here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now let me tell you very broadly, we're dealing in this particular episode, we're dealing with the very difficult subject of church discipline. Church discipline. And, you know, I get calls and letters all the time from Christians that want to know my opinion on this and what should they do about it, etc. And I've always said this, uh, in most of the cases where I've seen churches practice church discipline, it has been done wrong, and the end result is it actually hurt the church more than helped the church. And that's kind of sad. I really have to say that is kind of sad. Um, it really should not be that way. Um, but we do know that Paul t told the church at Corinth that there was a place for church discipline when it's done right. So what I'm going to do right now, since this is a short chapter, I'm going to start off tonight by re reading basically the whole chapter. And then after I've read the whole chapter, I'll begin doing commentary on it. Okay? Okay. Paul says, Although I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you were assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, I am with you in spirit, along with the power of the Lord Jesus. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old leaven that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with the old bread, 
leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Then Paul says to expel the immoral brother. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I was not including the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, I would have had to leave this world. But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a verbal abuser, a drunkard, a swindler, with such a man, do not even eat. What business of mine is it to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel this wicked man from you. Now, basically, that right there brings us to the end of chapter 5. As I've indicated, and as you can see, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is a fairly short chapter. It may be one of the shortest chapters, actually, in all 1 Corinthians. That's overall a possibility. Now, let's break it down and comment on it a little bit further. We find that Paul writes to them saying it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Now that is in the church. And of a kind that is intolerable even among pagans. He says a man has his father's wife and you were proud. Shouldn't you rather be stricken with grief and have removed from your fellowship the man who did this? <laughs> now, it just occurred to me, <laughs> I started reading a while ago with verse 3. I thought I was starting with verse 1. But this is verses 1 and 2 up here. But Paul says that what he recommends here for this man in the church who has his father's wife, he says, uh, you must have him removed from the fellowship of your church. What he is doing is so immoral that even in the pagan world they talk about how bad it is, how immoral it is. And I don't know whether Paul's more upset about the fact that they have such a person in their midst or the fact that the church at Corinth actually seems to be proud of the fact that they have such a man in their midst. According to some of the commentaries that I've read on this particular chapter, the church at Corinth took pride that they were a tolerant congregation. They refused to pass judgment on anyone. And as far as they were concerned, everyone was welcome. Now, 
to a degree, that is a good policy, to a degree. For example, Paul made it very clear that when he first stated this policy, apparently in a previous letter, he said, I did not include the immoral of this world. In other words, he wasn't talking about people that were sinners outside the church, but rather people that were committing serious sin inside the church. Now, obviously, anybody that's living in a sinful condition outside the church, we want to compel them to come in and attend, because after all, how can they be changed by the gospel if they're not allowed to come inside the church and actually hear the gospel? Amen? Amen. But, he says, when it comes to these serious sins being committed by those who are inside the church. He said, this is a whole different story. He says, God will judge and take care of the sinners outside the church. But he says, inside the church, we must deal with the problem of serious sin ourselves. Now he suggests, at least temporarily, putting this man out of the church. Now, we're not sure what Paul meant when he said that. I'm not sure that Paul meant that the man could not attend the church services and hear the gospel being preached. I, I would personally hope that was not what Paul meant. Because even here, how can a person hear that his behavior is not acceptable in the eyes of the Lord unless he can hear it in a sermon? But he's saying this man should certainly be suspended as far as his church membership is concerned. Now, it would be fair to say that would mean that he shouldn't be a member. He should not have a vote on different matters within the church. He should not be one who is able to, uh, you know... Uh, take an active part in any leadership position in the church. It would be fair to say such a person probably should be barred from any teaching ministry in the church, possibly told that he could not sing in the choir, or things of this nature. But not to the point where he's not allowed to attend and bring himself under the sound of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Now, I think that studying Paul's position further, we have to take note of the fact that this is a temporary suspension. He's not suggesting that such a person be permanently put out of the church, but that such a person should temporarily be suspended from church membership and the privileges normally accorded to such members, and that this be for a temporary period of time 
so that hopefully this person will see their need to get right with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> now, let's talk a little bit about how should a church in the year 2021 handle church discipline. Now, like I say, in so many cases, churches that I have seen practice church discipline have done so in a way that is bad, and they've done so in a way that probably hurts the church more than helps it. I think that when it comes to um, when it comes to um, um, you know a church member being accused of serious wrongdoing being accused of serious immorality I think there needs to be just like in a court of law there needs to be a proper amount of evidence I would not want to see anybody who is falsely accused of you know sin or immorality when there's no evidence to back it up evidence needs to be done to see to it that witnesses are truthful and honest and that they are not just saying something bad about someone to get them put out of the church I also believe very strongly that probably your church needs a fairly small committee to take care of this matter every member of this committee should be sworn to secrecy And what goes on in these sessions should not be shared with the public or even other members of the church. And like I say, great care needs to be seen to it that if someone is accused of doing something, that there is an overwhelming body of evidence to back it up. You're not going to allow the church to act on mere accusation. Witnesses have got to be tested to make sure that they are telling the truth. Amen? Amen. So there you have it. Now, I tell you what can happen when churches get involved in church discipline and they do it the wrong way. I have actually seen some churches where they have a 1,000 seat auditorium filled with people and then they have a meeting where this person is a public is publicly accused of all kinds of things with flimsy evidence at best and the next thing you know the church is being hit with a lawsuit for slander and libel and by the way in many states now the church is no longer exempt from lawsuits 
And so if you don't want your church to lose everything it's got, I would suggest that you find out how to correctly do church discipline legally in your state. You want to do it in a way that is fair, that is honest, and you want to make sure, furthermore, that everything you do under the heading of church discipline is done out of a heart of love and with the idea of restoration. In other words, uh, those who practice sin, yep, they need to be punished, but not permanently. Hopefully, you will bring them to the point where they will recognize that indeed and in fact what they are doing is wrong, it's not right before God, and that's just the way it is. Now, here's the thing. When you subject someone to church discipline, it should be for something that is undeniably clear to see, it's undeniably a violation of what the scripture teaches. For example, if a man in the church is having an affair with um, a woman in the church and they're not married, I think most of us can agree that the Bible teaches that is a sin. And so a man that has an affair with another woman, or another man for that matter, he should be subject to church discipline. Why? Because that is clearly a sin against God. Um, let's say, for example, a church member is caught in public saying a bad word, a cuss word. <laughs> now, you know, there are some preachers that would probably name the cuss word, but I'm not going to name it. I'm just going to say they're, they're caught cussing in public. Would I excommunicate, if I were pastor of a church, would I excommunicate or subject to church discipline such a member? Probably not. Number one, compared to other things, it's a relatively minor offense. And if we get to the point where we start subjecting to church discipline, every church member who commits the tiniest infraction against the word of God we're not going to have very many members left bearing in mind we're all sinners the only difference is that as Christians we are saved by grace we are saved by grace that is what makes us different from sinners in the world we are saved by grace but I would limit church discipline proceedings to those that are guilty of committing serious sin. I heard about one church where one of the members of the church was having an affair with the pastor's wife. Should that man be subject to discipline? You bet. And in the church in question there, 
the man probably would have faced church discipline had he not moved his church membership. But the church realized that once he moved his membership, there really wasn't much legally or otherwise that the church could do. But once again, even when church discipline action is taken against a member, it should be done in Christian love. And the whole idea is to bring this person lovely, lovingly back into right relationship with God. Paul also suggests that it would be okay to subject to church discipline someone who is a drunkard or a swindler. <laughs> now I tell you, if we start, in some churches, if we start church discipline proceedings against everyone who, uh, you know, uh, gets drunk, we're probably going to be taking church discipline action against half the congregation in some cities. Now Paul makes it clear that we're not to judge those outside the church. God will take care of them. But rather we are to judge those inside the church. Now, I would suggest that another way to deal with immorality and sin in the church is to have sermons from the pulpit that deal with sin and immorality. Um, this is where many preachers, in my opinion, come up short. Many preachers, in my opinion, today are preaching what I call lovey-dovey messages. They want to be loved, they want to be popular, so they preach sermons along the lines of positive thinking, I'm okay, you're okay, and all's right with the world. Well, in my opinion, folks, that's not biblical preaching. Biblical preaching focuses on doctrine. It focuses on what's sin and what's not sin. And how you and I should behave in this old world that we live in. Now, I'm afraid that we don't have enough preaching in the pulpit today against sin and immorality. And that's why we're probably seeing so much of it in our churches. In many cases, the pastor is partially to blame for not dealing with sin and immorality in the pulpit. Hopefully, church members who are doing things that they should not be doing, they'll hear these messages and one of two things will happen. They'll either quit doing it, or they will leave on their own accord. Amen. Now, another thing that we all need to do is to pray for each other. Love each other. It would be great if every Christian found another Christian that could be their prayer partner. 
And together, you two, you ought to pray for the people in your church. Pray for people that you know are struggling with different things. Pray for the unemployed. Pray for families that are in trouble. Pray for couples that are facing marital issues. This is what we all need to be doing as Christians. We ought to love on each other. We ought to pray for each other. We ought to help each other in every way possible. And by the way, when you pray for those that are unemployed in your church, how about taking some food by their house? Why not go by their house and see what else you can do for them? You don't even need a committee, folks, to do that. <laughs> you know what happens in so many of our churches when there's a needy individual or a needy family? You know what people want to do? Well, let's refer them to the benevolent committee. That's not what the Bible says. If you see a brother or sister in need, take the initiative. You do something about it yourself. You don't need the church's permission to do that. You don't need permission from the board of deacons to do that. You don't even need the pastor's permission to do it. Just do it. Do it. Amen. So as you can see here, even though this fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians is fairly brief, it is so powerful. Now, Paul also deals with the subject of who do we associate with. And I do believe that you and I as Christians... We have to be careful about who we associate with. For example, if you hang around with the wrong people, guess what? You're going to probably end up in trouble. Not too many years ago, I was involved in the jail ministry. And I would always tell people that were getting ready to get out of jail, I said, now, you know what? When you get out of jail... You probably need a new group of friends because if you hang around with the friends that you were around before, guess what? They're probably going to get you in trouble again and you're probably going to end up right back here in the slammer. So there is that situation where we have to be careful who we associate with. Now, you'll notice Jesus and his disciples Jesus and his disciples were accused of hanging around with publicans and sinners but now Jesus had a different reason for doing that he said hey how am I going to reach these people with the gospel of the kingdom if I don't associate with them if I don't talk with them, if I don't eat with them. So there does there is a difference there. The Bible makes it very clear we're to be in this world but not of the world. You and I don't have any choice about the fact that we're in this world. But the Bible makes it very clear that we don't have to be of this world. We need to note that our behavior as Christians does matter to God. Anybody who tells you God doesn't care how you live, they're lying and they're teaching you falsehood as far as the Bible is concerned. 
God cares very much how you live. God cares very much how you behave. Don't ever forget that. One of the things I like about the way the Lord does, a lot of times it's amazing how the Lord teaches you and me in our hearts how we need to be. You know, a lot of times I find myself getting ready to do something and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit pricks my heart. And he says, Warren, uh-uh, don't you do that. Mm-mm, don't do it. And I back away. You see, that's what I call leading under, living rather, living under the influence of God's Holy Spirit. Amen. And sometimes, right after I do something, I might feel like, you know what? I blew it again. I shouldn't have done that. And then I get down on my knees and I say, Lord, pray, I pray for you, pray to you right now, Lord, please forgive me for what I just did. Sometimes I'll say something to someone. And the Lord will stop me in my tracks and make me apologize to that person for what I just said. I said, you know what? I wasn't thinking I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. That's what I call living under the control of God's Holy Spirit. And if we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit as He leads, guides, and directs us, we'll avoid a lot of problems in our life. Amen? Amen. Well, for next time, you want to read, um, you're going to want to read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That'll be 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and that will be another great chapter. In fact, I would suggest that you go ahead and read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It might be if chapter 6 <laughs> is as short as chapter 5 was, I might do two chapters instead of one. But the reason I wanted to focus on that one short chapter of chapter 5 is because it dealt with the subject of church discipline. And I think if your church decides to practice church discipline, it's very important that you know how to do it correctly because the thing about it is, if you don't do it correctly, it's going to hurt a lot of people. A lot of people are going to suffer. And the reputation of the church will be harmed. And that's why I felt like it was necessary for me to very slowly and meticulously dissect that chapter so that you can hear what Paul wanted us to do and what Paul did not want us to do. And there you have it. Well, if you have any Bible study questions or prayer requests, all you have to do is shoot me a prayer request or a Bible study question at one of two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com and the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. Either way, I would love to hear from you and I will get back with you just as quickly as possible. And if you give me permission to do so, I will share 
these uh, questions and prayer requests with our radio audience. I don't know about you, but I find it very comforting to know that Christians all over America are praying for whatever problem I'm facing. To me, I, I don't know about you, I find that very reassuring. I find that very comforting, and that's the very thing that we as Christians ought to be doing for each other. We ought to pray with each other, love each other, and defend each other. Well, until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you, and guess what? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.